0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. <laughs> it's the national anthem of Canada. No, it's
1: not. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different one. That one was "God Save." God the Save the Queen.
0: queen. Mm-hmm. What are we talking about? As opposed about? to. Oh, Canada.
2: Right, which is Canada's Mm -hmm. anthem. Mm -hmm.
0: I was making a joke. I know the (laughs)
2: difference. (laughs) I know. Uh. So, yes, that was God Save the Queen because we are talking about Tudor Mania
0: today. (gasps) Oh, yeah. Everybody loves a British queen. Right?
1: (laughs) Um. All kinds of British queens, if we're being honest.
2: I stand by it. Yes. Uh-huh. And so there is a period of time in opera, in opera history, where Tudor history was incredibly fascinating and exciting for Italians. Mm -hmm. Because at this point in time, the Bel Canto era, Italy wasn't actually like a, a formalized country yet. There was still kind of a collection of municipalities and different power structures different places okay and so the idea of like a unified country with an all-powerful singular monarch was very fascinating to them and the fact that it had been established like this in britain or in england for a long time and that the monarch did such crazy things and like got away with it was very fascinating and interesting and exotic for Italians. And so you have a bunch of operas in the Bel Canto period written by the Bel Canto Italian composers that are essentially exoticizing the British monarchy of old. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and one of the more famous composers who was super into the monarchy was Donizetti. Yes. Gaetano Donizetti. And the only thing I really know about him is the end of his life. He had syphilis, like everybody had syphilis back then. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he ended up in a was it a sanatorium? Something like Something that. Something like that. Like
2: hospitalized for his various illnesses both and apparently, physical and and psychological. Apparently
0: he was notorious because he gave all the nurses syphilis, syphilis. as well. <laughs> Heyo. <yo>. Bummer. <laughs> Yes.
1: Crazy thing, like, they should have known, right, that he had syphilis? One they would think. Known.
0: I mean, a, they must have known. But then I guess that gets into weird territory as if this was a uh, consensual thing.
2: Well, also, I, I feel like I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that even though people knew what the, that there was a particular illness called this, it's unclear if people were aware at that time if they knew how it was transmitted. Oh, come on. i know like but i'm just saying it's possible they didn't want to know they believed what they wanted to believe right it's possible the nurses only vaguely understood what they were risking who knows i don't know
0: anyway had syphilis went crazy died
2: yes he actually composed some great music he composed amazing music and a lot of people talk about how He struggled throughout his life with what we would now identify as depression. At Mm -hmm. the time, it was, like, called melancholy or things like that. Um, We don't know for sure if it was, like, what we would consider clinically diagnosed depression or if he was bipolar or what exactly the situation was. But we know that he had these deep bouts of psychological torment. And he often would draw inspiration from that in his writing, in his compositions. And so we know with people like or characters like Lucia in Lucia de Lamamore, who has this big mad scene, he deeply identified with the idea of psychological torment that Lucia was experiencing. And so it's slightly unsurprising given his his own experiences that he was very prolific in writing mad scenes generally. And so I think he's written like in his whole operatic output, he wrote something like 30 mad scenes in total, like just an incredible amount. Well, wasn't it at
0: that period an opera was sort of expected to have like a mad scene in it, like a big Shana for the the star to really show off? It certainly
2: became a big part of the bel canto genre. Mm mm-hmm but I feel like it became a big part of it partially because he was so good at writing them. Okay. And so he wrote mad scenes that we still see today in operas and are considered some of the greatest moments of opera, even though it's depicting or dramatizing a horrible, tormenting thing for the character. But it can be dramatically compelling, and it can also allow the singer an opportunity to like show off all their virtuosic abilities.
1: Most famously... In Lucia di Lammermoor, at least for Donizetti, Mm -hmm. which uh, coincidentally is a lost episode of the Opera After Dark vault. Is it? It exists. (laughs) It's to be produced. (laughs) That's who knows when.
0: I always wonder what happened. We have all the recordings,
2: and we We recorded it in the land where Lucia. Lived and died. Lived and died, yes.
1: That's it. We'll leave it there. Yeah. It'll come at some point.
2: Okay. Yeah. So,
1: just a little teaser there. Yeah. A whole episode about Lucia di Lammermoor and the mad scene.
2: A lost scene. We have, we have a vault a lost of lost, lost episode. episodes.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Donizetti, really known for Lucia, known for um, the elixir of love. But we're talking today about some of the Tudor operas mm-hmm. that he wrote, and there are three of them. Mm hmm. I think, I personally think the most famous one
2: is Anna Bolena. It is mm-hmm. the most famous, and I think it's the first one that he wrote. And it's also the opera that really catapulted him to stardom in the serious vein of opera, because mm-hmm. he wrote some other more comic operas like Elixir of Love um, or La Laisire d'Amore. Mm. But Anna Bolena was one of the works that put him on the map, so to speak. And then he followed it up with. A couple of others. Oh sorry, I misspoke. It's the most popular. It's not the first opera he ever wrote that's based on Tudor themes. Oh. What is? Apparently Il Castello di Kenilworth. What the hell is that? Right <laughs> <laughs> it was one year earlier. Um, Who knows? But it's not really considered part of what people deem like the the trilogy of Tudor operas. What's the Kenilworth opera about? I don't know much about it. It's something about Kenilworth. It's obviously uh, English-themed. But Anna Bolena was written in 1830. Maria Stuarda was 1835. Well, he wrote it a little bit earlier, but the final version was 1835. And Roberto Devereux was 1837.
1: So and so in those three operas, we have Anne Boleyn, Mary Stuart, Queen of Scots, and elizabeth the first
2: correct yes
1: nice the three queens if you will
2: yes yeah, so people call them the the tudor queen operas or the three queens and they also uh it's become very popular to perform them in a sort of a trilogy on a particular opera season so that all three would be scheduled on a season or all three would be scheduled within a short period of time and then um, it's become again quite popular for a soprano to sing in all three operas, so that they've essentially performed the Tudor Queen trilogy.
1: Hmm, which is not an easy feat. No, it has it hasn't been done a lot. I feel like wasn't Beverly Sills was like the first. I think really she, Beverly Sills the one that, that
2: that comes to mind that did it, and she also is credited with kind of bringing or being a part of the bel canto revival, so to speak, in the 20th century, which was bringing Mm -hmm. these bel canto operas that up to that point were kind of obscure, bringing them back to the opera stage and giving them new life in the opera canon. And so I feel like Anna Bolena probably would have been on stage before that, but Roberto Devereux probably wasn't that popular before Beverly Sills brought it back into Mm The kind of limelight, so to speak, as part of this mm-hmm. Tudor Queen, Three Donizetti Queens trilogy. So
0: I really yeah. like these operas because, um, and maybe this is a convention of like Bel Canto operasaria or whatever. Mm-hmm. There are always two lead female characters, even though there is like, you know, the Soprano. Um, there's the Mary Stuart, There's the Anne Boleyn. There's Elizabeth I. But there's always like a second female character that basically holds the same amount of prominence. And they have crazy duets and they always hate each other and it's great and it's just (laughs) nice to see an opera of that time period that has two large roles for women and i feel like the men even in anna belena where like henry the eighth is pretty much the center of the action i feel like the men don't really have that much to do
2: (laughs) (laughs) and also it feels like the the voice types it's almost always soprano mezzo soprano yep so these are big roles for mezzo-sopranos. And also the mezzo-soprano is a, a love interest in these operas often. She's
0: also usually like the younger, prettier, <laughs> like rival for the man's Which affections kind of about her. Right. Like in
2: um, Anna Bolena. And Anna Bolena. It's
1: Jane Seymour.
2: Yeah. Giovanna Seymour. She's the <laughs> rival oh. love to Anne Boleyn. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. She, she's going to be the next one, heads
2: up. Right. Do you want to listen to a little bit of their their big duet? All right. Elizabeth will pick a moment from the duet and the end where they're singing
0: fast and loud and high <laughs> together. <laughs>
2: you can imagine listening to this it doesn't scream english countryside to you probably sounds very italian bel canto ish right Um, and so that's a kind of interesting part of these operas where you really get to hear like an early 1800s italian man's very italianate uh musical depiction of these stories, and they're not really known for drawing on a lot of local color, so to speak. So, you know, much later, somebody like Puccini would have gone and researched English folk music, and he Mm -hmm. would have traveled there and taken in the sights and then tried to incorporate local sounds into the score. It's a bit early in opera history for this, so you don't get a lot of that in the score, but there is one moment where Donizetti actually quotes God save the queen slash God save the king when in the score. I believe it's in Roberto Devereux. Um I don't know that opera very well. I think it's in the in the Nobody overture.
0: does. No yeah. one does. It's
2: in one it's in one of the overtures. And so here's just a little bit of that so you can hear Donizetti's setting of God Save the King slash Queen.
0: Obviously, Ana Belena, even though it's called Ana is sort of all about Henry VIII and the wives of Henry VIII. And it's an interesting perspective because it really um, focuses more on the women
2: mm-hmm. and less
0: on him, which is something that we still see today. Tudor mania has not gone away. It has only grown. People are constantly fascinated. If you yes. look at a TV show that I'm sure Naomi has watched because it is <laughs> period <laughs> crap, <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Tudors.
0: The Tudors.
1: <gasps> that is that is... an HBO? Where is that on?
0: Oh, I think it was on Showtime. <laughs>
2: no, I think Tudors oh. was HBO. Oh, was it? I think you, the Showtime one that's also horribly inaccurate period drama is rain which was Mary Queen of Scots. No, that's like the ah. CW. Oh, was at the CW. Yeah. <laughs> Even worse. <laughs> oh
0: boy. Oh. oh yes. Um but the Tudors starred an actor whose name i don't remember who was way too hot to be playing henry jonathan
2: viii jonathan Reese. <laughs> i think is his name right i don't know i think so too hot to be playing henry viii <laughs> um yeah and everyone was Wasn't just running henry
1: around VIII's and like, early on he was kind of a good looking man i feel like he got
2: very unhealthy as he aged like <laughs> didn't uh-huh. everybody i'm sure they did like how could they possibly have you know like they're not and like also, eating well, they drink
1: beer because the water is
2: contaminated. Saved. Yeah, the water is <laughs> contaminated. <laughs> like, although the royalty probably ate much better than the average populace. But I feel like from what I know, Henry the Eighth just had a lot of health problems as he aged. And he would try and like cover it up. I think he had an abscess of some kind on his leg that was a result of a hunting accident. And so he, he went to great pains to like conceal it and things like that. I... Don't quote me on that, but I remember reading somewhere that it's just as he aged, he had multiple health problems that he tried to cover up, and um, but yet he was still, I guess, incredibly desirable to the women that would end up marrying him. Although well, I feel knows, like
0: a lot of the women that ended up marrying him probably didn't
2: have that much of a choice. A lot of them didn't have a choice, and I feel like some of them had no idea what they were getting into, so that that's true right
0: but um we wanted to talk about this not only because if you know Don not bel canto tudor mania mm-hmm. exclamation point all of that good stuff but coming to broadway mm-hmm. in the spring of 2020 is a new musical um I, I don't know if there's a plot is there a plot kyle not really
1: uh, there is kind of a plot. There's kind
0: of plot. Well, Kyle's going to talk about this more, because <laughs> Kyle saw it when he was in London. Mm-hmm. I know the music, yes. but I haven't seen it. I'm very excited to see it. Um, it's called Six. It is all about right. the six wives of Henry VIII. Mm-hmm. And Kyle, the concept is pretty much they're all getting together to form like a super group, like the Spice Girls.
1: Well, that's like how it comes off. Okay. Generally. But it's more so they've come together to talk about their experiences with Henry VIII. And the premise is like talking about who had it worse. Mm -hmm. Which is... The only downside of of that is that, you know, it's great when you have a group of of women all coming together on stage. And it's just women. It's an all-female band. um, All women. But the whole time they are talking about a man. Right. Which kind of takes away some of that uh, girl power element. But by the end, they do. It, like, comes to a point. This isn't, like, Shakespeare or anything, but it comes to a point where they're like, yeah, why are we, like, arguing over who had it worse? Like, we're all great people as individuals, yada, Mm -hmm. yada, Mm yada. It's not the most earth-shattering, dramatic story, but... It is so much fun. (laughs) The music is amazing. And it's still, I mean, it feeds that. Like we still have, like you said, Tudor mania. Mm -hmm. So it really just plays into that in such a fun way. And I, yeah, I would describe it as the six wives of Henry VIII in a Spice Girls style of music. Right. Is the best that I can describe it. Super fun. It's a one act, 80 minutes long really packs a punch uh, and yeah the music is so much fun
2: so there's one particular opening to the show I think it's in the yes. opening scene where there's a number that helps you remember th- the way in which all of the wives right it's perished. The, the introduction right so and I mm-hmm. believe Kyle has an artistic performance prepared oh. for all of you Kyle yes please. so
1: they they basically yeah in order it's Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived.
0: <laughs> Keep going. And that's
1: their that's their whole shtick. Oh, I don't know if I could. And then yeah, that's that's the order of the wives. Like what happened to them?
2: Right.
0: They go welcome to the show to the history. <laughs> makes like it actually doesn't make sense.
1: Life. Welcome to the show to the history. It's you know it's it is kind of like an aesthetic of Hamilton where you have this historic retelling kind of in a very modern musical yeah. style
2: hmm. uh
1: in a very spice yeah.
2: girlsy style, right
0: well yeah, there's some I think they're supposed to be modeled after specific singers there's like a big like celine Dion style ballad and, nice right
1: yeah uh it's pretty great though because it yeah there's a mixture of this pop style kind of like at times a Mm hip-hop aesthetic there's even one that's like almost it's almost like an 80s techno style song the house of hobine Mm
2: -hmm. that sounds amazing
1: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so it all comes together in such a fun way but it i think what i like most about it is that it's extremely clever like the the reason that I say it's like Hamilton is that there are these things that come up in the lyrics that are ties into the history of it but then in a in a modern twist mm-hmm. like there is one oh gosh I think it's this divorce beheaded died divorce so the fourth wife Anne she was the German one yes mm-hmm. Anne of Cleves She sings a song that's all about um, like you, you say that I tricked you because I didn't look like my profile picture, (laughs) like very like a reference to our modern culture. Right. Whereas apparently in the history, he saw a painting of her and was like, oh, my gosh, that's the most beautiful woman. And then when he saw her in person, when he was wanting to marry her, he didn't think that was the case.
0: Right. She did not look like he imagined. Right,
1: right. But she ended
0: up okay. He didn't kill her. Right. I mean, she got like her own house.
1: I know that's that's one of my favorite songs.
0: Lived her life. It's a good song.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's let's listen to just a little bit of that song. Uh, This is I don't know what it's called, (laughs) 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 but this is the Anne of Cleves song in which she's talking about. It's, it's, it's like its own girl power song where Henry VIII essentially rejected her, but she's just gonna go live in her own palace doing her own thing.
2: Nice. Sitting here all alone on a throne in a palace that I
1: happen to own. Bring me some pheasant, keep it on the bone. Fill my goblet up to the brim. Sipping on need, and I spill it on my dress with a gold lace trim. Not very prim and proper, can't make me stop. I wanna go hunting any takers. I'm not fakers, I've got acres and acres. Paid for with my own riches. Where my hounds had released the bitches. Woof. Every day, head back for a round of croquet, cause I'm a player. And tomorrow. I'll hit replay You, you said that I tricked you. Cause I, I didn't look like my profile picture Too, too bad I don't agree So I'm gonna hang it up for everyone to see And you can't stop me Cause I'm the queen of the castle Get down you dirty rascal Get down So yeah, as you can tell, this musical is a really fun way to address this historical topic that people are really fascinated with, but kind of modernize it. It's a really fun way of getting these factoids. Some of it, like really the only one of these queens that I was familiar with ahead of time was Anne Boleyn. Mm -hmm. And so it allows you to just get a little tidbit about what actually happened, even if it's like exaggerated a little bit but six to my knowledge is roughly based off of what actually happened so it's a good way to to get those historical tidbits in a a fun condensed fashion
2: it seems like they modernized some of the language or like they applied the concepts that are based in fact to modern times but they did not change the facts of what we know about the queens Mm -hmm. Whereas the operas, (laughs) Donizetti's Tudor operas are not really, I mean, they're based in fact, but let's just say he plays fast and loose with history. (laughs) What? Yes. So I think a good example, there's two good examples of this. Um, One is that in Maria Stuarda, where the title character is Mary, Queen of Scots, there's kind of the big dramatic crux of the opera is a meeting between these two powerhouse women mm-hmm. between mary queen of scots and queen elizabeth the first right and we know from history that that never happened the two of them never mm. actually were in the same room together in their adult life even though they exchanged letters and there's obviously a lot of Communication amongst their advisors back and forth, right? But that's not very dramatic, right? right. The stage, right? Would you
1: do you think Donizetti knew this and said, "Yeah, I don't care." Like it makes for a better opera if they met, or do you think he just either didn't do his research or this wasn't something that was commonly known? I mean, well,
2: like, how much
0: research did he actually do?
2: And also, to be <laughs> fair, it's not really Donizetti; it's his librettist. Right, Ooh.
1: that's true.
0: Because didn't so, Donizetti
2: write things? very quickly did everybody
0: in that time period? very very quickly yes. yes the whole who
1: is this librettist was it felice romani
0: it is felice romani oh there Ooh. you go kyle
2: <sighs> nail it.
1: So, it happens so seldomly i really have to relish in it
2: right revel it in happens. it i feel like even if they knew that the two women never met in person that ultimately historical accuracy was not the top priority kind of like dramatic and musical interest was the top priority. And so they needed the two women to meet in order to have a fantastic duet. Otherwise, how else would you feasibly have a duet where they get to interact with each other? Right? Mm -hmm. And so being
1: if we're being perfectly honest, it's not historical accuracy isn't always extremely important today, either. We that have is true. Or that interesting so on many, stage, you know. <laughs> right. We have so many movies that are based on historical events or inspired by, hmm. yes. inspired by true historical events. events. And people see it and they think, oh, that's exactly what happened. But often right. not.
2: Mm. Yes. What were we talking about? I don't we know. were talking about Chernobyl. You. Uh, Elspeth and I both love Chernobyl, the, the series, and we were talking about listening to the podcast that's connected with the episodes. And in one episode of the podcast, they talked about how people, after the show was released, kind of took them to task for having a bunch of characters speaking in English accents that were supposed to be representing Russian characters in the show. And they made a decision very early on in the actual... Uh, production process that they didn't want to have everyone speaking in contrived accents because it would detract from the characterization.
0: Right, so they everyone used their normal accent. Their normal speaking voice. Right. And it was mainly
2: British actors that were cast. And yeah. Stanley Scarzard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's an example of people getting upset about a particular element that's not technically historically accurate. But how it's an artistic choice made for a very particular reason that's connected with the art form itself, Mm -hmm. right? And I feel like you have that in the Donizetti Tudor Queens, where some of the historical facts are altered for the sake of good drama on stage. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel like a lot of the stories and all of them are sort of based on, like, speculation and gossip and yes. not so much fact. Especially Elspeth's favorite character in Anna Bolena, Smeton. Smeaton. Smeaton. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, Smeaton. honestly, you know, you ever see something and, like, something that was written a long time ago and you're just like, oh, that was written for a particular person? Mm-hmm. Because they just needed to fill... Like, they just rolled a roll because, like, someone's lover wanted to be in an opera or something. <laughs>
1: Smeaton is
0: so useless. Like, I don't understand the point.
1: Well, doesn't... Smeaton advances the plot in that, doesn't he... He, like, betrays Anne Boleyn, right? There's something where he he's tortured or... He he's is in love. He loves her. Something. He loves
2: her. He's in love with her. And their relationship in the opera suggests that there was something between them before the opera started, but then she basically is trying to hide it because she doesn't want Henry to find out about it, Henry VIII, right? And she's supposed to be, like, you know, the perfect love.
0: You're thinking of the tenor. Oh, the t- who's the tenor in it? Oh, shit. What's the tenor's name? Don't mean- well,
1: I think Smeaton... Um, I think Smeaton... I think you're right. Smeaton does... Have feelings or he's enamored. Her. He has feelings by... for her,
0: but he's her. also
2: like fourteen.
1: Right, he's right. a boy. He's a like a page character. It's a pants right. roll
2: But he is. I feel like Smeaton. that particular character was based off of speculation about a real historical figure that they think maybe. You're may thinking be... of
0: uh, Ricardo Percy. Percy, Percy based on right. Henry Percy, the sixth Earl of Northumberland, which is the guy that Henry VIII is like. You're fucking him. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right. I created a whole new church for you, and you do this to me. Um, yeah. You right. did. So Mitan is just like the court musician. He's a court
2: musician. That...
0: Again, oh, useless. Gosh. Who's obsessed like, there's with There's like Andaline. a trio, and then it was like, we just need a lower voice, and Jane Seymour can't be in this. Right. Ugh. <laughs> Annoying.
1: So I have to be completely honest with you guys and say that Now, when I picture Anne Boleyn, Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
1: historically or whatever, I always picture her as Anna Netrebko. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Because that's who I first saw. I think the first time I watched this opera was a a Met HD broadcast Mm -hmm. with Anna Netrebko. So now, you know, when I was in London and visited the Tower of London... And you see the spot where Anne Boleyn was beheaded. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm imagining the actual historical figure, but she looks like Anna Trebko. (laughs) (laughs) Similarly, in the I think it's the the British Library or the National Library in London, they have some handwritten notes that were written by Anne Boleyn. Wow! They do. Yeah, which is really cool, especially because. I feel like as English speakers, often when we see documents or artifacts from hundreds of years ago, they're Mm -hmm. usually in another language. So there's an intermediary unless you speak that other language. You're seeing a translation that's basically an interface from somebody else. But to be able to look at Anne Boleyn's letter and read it myself was pretty cool. It's like she's communicating directly with me, even though... Of course, the letter was not written to me. (laughs) In any case, as I'm doing this, I'm imagining Anna Ndrebko writing a letter.
2: Aww. Well, I have to admit that I have a, not quite as extreme, but a similar thing where, because the first time I watched anything that depicted the Tudors on screen, it was the Tudors' show. And (laughs) so the actress who plays Anne Boleyn and I cannot remember her name. She's the one who played... She was in Game of Thrones. Natalie Dormer. Yes, Natalie Dormer. Oh, oh like, yes. Her we face about. is kind of the quintessential Anne Boleyn face for me because she was the first person I ever saw play that role in a dramatized version mm-hmm. of the story. So even though I've seen a few different sopranos sing it, it's like when I see them, I'm like, oh, they they don't look like anne boleyn exactly because for me (laughs) anne boleyn looks like natalie dormer (laughs) but
0: there you go you know
2: (laughs) some things get imprinted on our minds and we can't let them go i don't think anne boleyn looks like anybody (laughs) well if you look (laughs) at her her portraits her portraits like i feel like no actress who has ever played her or singer actually looks like her
1: oh that's interesting i've never looked at her portrait
2: yeah, her por- like I've looked at her portrait a few times because I remember thinking this, like, what did she actually look like? Yeah, but this is so, like, it's stylized of the period. I know, it's really hard to tell exactly, but...
1: We'll put it on social media. Make sure you yeah. find Opera After Dark on Facebook and Instagram. We'll get that Anne Boleyn portrait up there.
2: So I know we didn't deep dive into any particular opera plot... But we tried to give you a broad sense of this particular moment in the bel canto style and history. Hopefully, if you're super jazzed about Tudor history, we've inspired you to go look up some of these operas and listen to them. Uh, there are more than the three that we mentioned, but certainly Anna Bolena, Maria Stuarda, and Roberto Devere, all by Donizetti, are the three big ones. Mm-hmm. And they have some great music in it and a neat way to kind of experience a dramatization of Tudor history by an Italian in the early 1800s. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm super excited to see Six when it comes to Broadway. Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> you have to see it. I would recommend it for any person.
2: We'll go. Any we'll person. Go.
1: Even, even if there was a person on Earth, which I don't think there is, that said, I don't like the Spice Girls, you should still go see it. It's really good.
0: We're excited to see it. And if you're interested in other operatic interpretations, I would tentatively recommend Benjamin Britten's opera that is never done, Gloriana, oh,
1: about yeah. the
0: end of the life of Elizabeth the I. It's weird. But hey, check it out. You want to can... see like a a man in the 1950s, an English man's interpretation of the <laughs> <laughs> Queen Elizabeth I, At least he's English. That's true. He is English. Italian. And her relationship with...
1: He's much
2: younger. I don't know. Some dude. I think it's the parallel to Roberto Devereux. So it's...
1: Oh, right. Yeah. I think it might be Roberto... Roberto, Robert Devereux.
2: But they make a big deal
0: about the fact that he's way younger than she is. Mm -hmm. But check it out. It's weird. There's a lot of chorus in it.
2: I completely forgot about that one. But yeah, cuz yeah. no one does it,
0: right? I think the soprano role is just really hard.
2: I think it there is like a big voice. Really? In Benjamin Britten? Yeah, I think Interesting. so. Interesting. I just know that there's like one DVD of it that exists and We had a bunch sent to the office like many years ago for some reason I don't remember. And then we had like like, 10 of them floating around the office. And people were like, (laughs) anyone want a Gloriana DVD? I have two already.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. I'm sure you can Mm -hmm. find it online somewhere.
1: So thanks, as always, for listening in to this episode of Opera After Dark. We would love it if you could do us a favor and go leave a review wherever it is that you're listening to this podcast. It helps other people find the podcast. Also, if you want to support us here at Opera After Dark, you could go buy some merch at Mm operaafterdark.com. Or you could visit patreon.com slash operaafterdark. We really appreciate your support there. We'll be back with you next week with yet another episode. Am I forgetting anything? Ladies? No.
0: no you I think you got you're it doing all. Great.
1: Excellent. Take us home, okay.
0: Kyle. All
1: right. <laughs> As I said, thank you so much for listening and we'll be back with you soon. I'm Kyle.
2: I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. Thanks for
0: listening. Bye.